to Zoom with Zarni. I'm uh, Dustin Zarni on behalf of the United Democrats of Onondaga County. And welcome back to our town hall features uh, that we're doing this year. In response to the COVID crisis, uh, we wanted to have these town halls as a way to, uh, um, uh, to talk to candidates, allow them to get out there on social media. Uh, and uh, we, we do these once a week. And uh, this week we have Dia Carabajal, uh, a, a former Auburn town councilor who is running for the 126th Assembly District. Dia, thank you so much for coming to uh, Zoom with Zarni today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and Zoom with Zarni. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's a great name. <laughs> we're going to talk about your race, but some ground uh, rules for those of, who are in the chat. If you want to, uh, um, if you want to speak or ask a question, please type "stack" in the chat, and we'll get to you when we get to the, uh, the question and answer portion of the uh, town hall. But Dia, I, you know, I, I've known I've known you for a little while, but it's been kind of one of those things where I've known you in a different circle. But uh, we both have been in politics. You, you're, you're in Cuga County, uh, and uh, this is your four, first foray into a race into Onondaga County. Is, uh, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I have, I've run for offices over here. I was twice elected to the Auburn School Board, and I was on the Auburn City Council um, and involved in other campaigns and, um, and races um, of friends and people that I've supported. And, um, but I have not reached over into Onondaga County. This is the first time. So I'm excited to, at the possibility of being able to represent uh, Camillus, Genny Atlas, Marcellus, um, Elbridge, those, those places that some are very close to Auburn. So Sarah, uh, Skinny Atlas is, is just up the road. So, so that feels like home as well, but it is in Onondaga County. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know this, I'm a Skinny Atlas uh, graduate. I graduated from class of Lakers 1990. So uh, I spent many of my wayward youth in the Auburn Mall. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so um, I, I feel like I know Auburn very well as well. But um, so the, you, you kind of touched on it. The 126th Assembly District is the southwest corner of Onondaga County. Um, you know, it's, uh, it includes the city of Auburn, Skinny Atlas, Elbridge, Marcellus, uh, um, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of the southwest corner. Uh, and this has been a race that has had some uh, activity over the last few years, uh, but with uh, the uh, current incumbent, uh, Gary Finch, retiring, uh, this is now an open seat. So tell us why you decided to run for this. Well, because the opportunity came up, right? So Gary has represented us for a very long time. He decided to, to retire. Um, I felt that, you know, with Gary as an incumbent, um, that would have been a harder race, but an open seat, um, you know, uh, creates an opportunity. So, so the opportunity came up and, and I've been a representative for, for the people of my community in the past. And I thought, well, let's, um, let's do it. I have the experience um, and I have the, um, the will. So, so why not me? Why not at this time? So what do you, what do you think your strengths are in uh, coming to the 126, going to Albany? Why? Would the district be better represented by a Democrat uh, versus a Republican or you versus anybody else? Well, me versus anyone else is because of my experience, right? So I started out on the school board. I was there for six years. I was four years on the Auburn City Council. I have um, experience in governance and that's extraordinarily important for someone to be able to hit the ground running when they get into a governance situation. The other reason is that this district has not been represented in the majority for a very long time. Gary Finch, as well-meaning as he, he is and as loving of our community as he's been, um, he's, been in the, he's been in the minority. And um, so that's all part of being able to bring back funding to your constituents to be able to support the things that they care about is to be able to be heard and to have a voice. And that's not to say that downstate Democrats are going to listen to me. That's not what I'm saying, but you have much more of a chance if you're in the room where it happens, you know? So, so that's, that's something that will be very different for, um, for the 126 as we move forward. 
that experience, um, that ability to network. I already have some um, local networks that that help me to to navigate um, to navigate what's going on in politics. So so that network is also very important. So so those are those are things that I bring to the table that that no one else does. What was the other part of the question? You had two parts. Well, you kind of you answered it. Yeah, it was why you and why Democrat. So uh, that okay. Oh, I got it. All right. Got it. You got it. Uh, so um, you know, and, and you say that you know downstate Democrats, but we do have an upstate de Democratic coalition from Onondaga County and and Pam Hunter, Bill Magnarelli, and Al Serbi, who've been very effective in advocating for their regions. Uh, and I would hope that, uh, you know, a, a stronger upstate Democratic caucus would be able to do that as well. Well, absolutely. So I'm kind of like the missing link because we also have the Barbara Lifton Assembly District. So, so the 126 is in between that. It would create a larger block of blue, if you will. And the, the more voices that are there, the stronger, the stronger we will be. It would also represent um, all of Onondaga County would be represented by um, Blue Assembly people. Well, so there's, yeah, there's, well, hopefully Gail Tosh will win up in the, people forget about oh, the 20th. Sorry. Gonna, <laughs> so let's not forget, or two weeks from now, we're gonna have Gail in, um, but uh, the 120th goes up into Oswego, but dips oh. down into Lysander, so. I don't wanna, I don't wanna forget, I don't wanna, yeah. We're going to bring them all home. We're going to bring them yes. all. Uh, and so, and the other, um, the other part of it is, is should I win all of Cortland County would be blue for sure. That one I got right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. And, uh, and Barbara Lifton was also an open seat and uh, there was a primary down there and it looks like Anna Kellis is going to be the, the representative uh, uh, in that seat uh, in, in the fall as well. Uh, another Democrat, right? So, so one other thing that um, would happen is that I would bring rural voices into the majority. That's something that is rare, right? Many of our rural voices are represented um, by by in the minority, um, and uh, that's important. That's important because so much of the one twenty six is is rural. So. And and also, you know, coming up next year is redistricting and, uh, and having, uh, you know, representation as, uh, be, as part of that. I, I, the, New York is going through a kind of a hybrid redistricting plan where it's uh, somewhat, um, you know, separate from the legislature. I don't want to say independent because they select their, their people. It's not independent, but, uh, and the legislature does approve it the plan so but having a uh, representation to keep that district intact is would be important as well well and and right now it just kind of meanders over um oh it, it is two and a half hour drive it is from aurora new york to sherburne new york and uh so it is it is very diverse geographically and so if it could be tighter um, some of the issues that people have over in Cayuga County are very different than the issues in Shenango County. So, so just to tighten that up so that you had a more um, homogeneous group to represent would be, um, would be better for whoever is, is involved. So yeah, there will be redistricting after this census. So you're, that's a good uh, segue into some issues uh, because I believe that, uh, you know, I've been studying your background and and uh, what you bring to the table. And some of those things are uh, very prevalent in, in uh, today's uh, elections and also our environment. Um, and that is, you know, you're a former school board member and we're all about to go back to school kind of, you know, I mean, it's a hybrid situations there. There's uh, a, lot of, a lot of districts have delayed classes for several weeks. They're gonna go all at home. Um, so, what, you know, what do you hope to bring on the education background, being a former school board member? How do you, so, uh, how, how do you want to translate that uh, to advocate advocacy at the state level? So I'm a former school board member and I'm a 30 year educator. So uh -huh. I'm, 
professor of mathematics at Cayuga Community College. So I bring that to the table as well. So, um, so and a NYSET member, New York State United Teacher. So, so that's all the kind of education mixed. So one of the very big issues that is before us is a foundation aid formula that is uneven and it's unfair. And um, what happens is that we get very uneven um, educational funding. The Auburn School District, for example, is, um, is 40%, gets 40% less than average. And let me get that right, um, uh, per student aid because of the formula. But most of the districts in rural New York and um, small city districts um, have, have some issues with the formula. Some you notice more, some you notice less. So that foundation aid formula is, is something that I really, really would like to address. Also, as a community college professor, I know that for the last 15 years, the per student funding um, from the state has remained flat, which over 15 years of, over 15 years, it's really a decrease every year. So that's causing our tuition to go up. It's causing um, our higher ed to be less accessible to our community. So the 126 has Cayuga Community College in it, um, served by Onondaga Community College, and it's also served by, by Tompkins Portland Community College. So, so that community college aid and the health of those community colleges is so very important for all of Central New York and especially the 126th Assembly District. People, people go to school there, they have access to higher education, and those are large employers as well for the area. So, so it's important that those institutions remain strong and remain healthy. You're listening to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, I'm on with uh, Assembly District 126 candidate Dia Carabajal in a virtual town hall. Uh, just a reminder, if you wanna ask questions when we get to the question and answer portion, uh, please type, type stack in the chat uh, and we will, we will go to you. Um, Dia, you brought up education, but I also know that uh, a, a big part of your uh, uh, your your platform is the environment, and especially the lakes. Uh, this district has some of the most beautiful lakes uh, in our state: Skinny Atlas, Owasco, Cayuga Lake, um, and uh, the, uh, the the policies behind those have been. Uh, in the news quite a bit, uh, uh, you know. So, how are you um, going to advocate for those? And, and, and what's different about having these big bodies of waters in your district as opposed to uh, maybe an urban district? So, so um, the 126th Assembly District has four Finger Lakes in it. Uh -oh. It has the Yuga Lake, Owasco Lake in its entirety, Skinny Atlas Lake in its entirety, and Otisco Lake in its entirety, as well as the Kettle Lakes of Onondaga and Portland counties are in the, um, the district. So our fresh waterways, our fresh water bodies are something that are very important. Most recently, um, environmental um, changes, um, global climate disruption has disrupted our Finger Lakes. We've had harmful algal blooms in, detected in, in all of them. Um, in the city of Auburn, we found the microcystin toxins, which are um, from the, the harmful algal blooms, in the finished drinking water. Skinny Atlas Lake most recently had HABs in it. Um, Cayuga Lake has, has the same problem. Uh, Little York Lake, there were two um, dogs that passed away this summer, and they believe that that was from going into water that had um, harmful algal blooms in it. So it's an, it's an awful situation that needs to be, that needs to be addressed. Um, so there needs to be somebody in Albany who comes from the Finger Lakes, who understands how vital these bodies of water and our fresh waterways are. Um, so one of the um, other things that's happening, invasive species threaten our lakes. So from the south, the, there are invasive species that are uh, um, attacking our hemlock trees. And our hemlock trees help to filter the water that goes into our lake. And that is a problem as well. So there are all of these issues. It's not just environment. 
It is, it is environment and our finger lakes, which provide us drinking water, which provide us recreation, which provide tourism for, for our area. So this is an issue. And it's not just a rural issue um, over here in, 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 on Owasco Lake. It is a big city issue because we're talking about the drinking water in Skinny Atlas Lake is um, the drinking water for the entire city of Syracuse. Um, the drinking water in Owasco Lake is the town of Owasco and Auburn and all of the surrounding areas. So we are talking about half a million people who draw their water from these, these freshwater lakes. It is important that we prevent it from happening rather than reacting in an emergency situation. When we found the microcystin toxins in the finished drinking water, that was an emergency situation and the governor's office was able to bring funding and so was um, Senator Schumer's office was able to bring funding to the city of Auburn and the town of Owasco in order to react to an emergency situation. But we have to understand that we have to prevent it. We have to clean up the lakes and we have to put um, rules and regulations in place that will help to keep the drinking water and the water of these lakes safe, prevent it from, from continuing to happen. Yeah, I was about to bring that up and say uh, the city of Syracuse where I live uh, and now call home, um, actually I grew up here as well, we get our drinking water from Skinny Atlas and uh, it's actually quite renowned throughout the nation as pretty clean drinking water However, over the last few years, these algae blooms have, uh, have cropped up and um, there's been a lot of concern about that. So this is not just, you know, an environmental issue. People think about that as something tangential and I don't understand that since, you know, the world is on fire, it seems like right now out in the West and other things. But this is something that we deal with every day and these environmental issues are, are affecting people outside of your district uh, as well as inside your district. So, so um, it, it also is a health concern. Right. So many, many people draw their water directly from the lake. I mentioned the town of Owasco and, uh, and the city of Syracuse and uh, the city of Auburn. Um, but there are people who, who live on the lakes and the lake shore and they get their water um, uh, right from the lake. So, so there are health concerns as well. We certainly, um, we certainly need to be very, very careful. So, you know, the, speaking of health concerns, uh, that kind of leads us into the current uh, climate that we're running in. It's uh, the COVID-19 crisis has changed everything about way of life, voting, you know, everything, but also campaigning. And how are you, um, uh, how are you, uh, dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. Obviously, when you launched this campaign, we had no idea this was coming. And now, and now we've all had to adjust, and that's part of why this program exists. But how are you dealing with it? How's your campaign dealing with it? So, so I'm doing a lot of these. <laughs> I'm getting on Zoom a lot. We're recording it. We're putting it out there. Um, we have a pretty good um, social media environment. Um, we have a Facebook page, we have Twitter, we have um, Instagram, and so things are going out that way. We're calling a lot of people on the phone. So, um, so we, we have that, we're reaching out that way. Um, and um, we're just, we're doing everything that we can. I did not have a primary, so I was able to, in June, when other people were um, out there primarying, to see what was working for them and what wasn't working for them. So I had the opportunity to watch what, what the primary races did and then to make a uh, judgment about what would be most efficient. Um, having run for office over here in Cayuga County um, on multiple occasions and working on several other campaigns, um, I've already knocked on a th thousands of doors over here. I can't knock on doors, obviously. Um, we wish we could go out and meet people, but we can't. I would uh, love to continue that. And I do believe that part of campaigning, it's designed to um, make you more informed. When I go out, I, I always am learning things about the district, the concerns of people, because that's what you are as a representative. You are the conduit by which the will of the people or the um, needs of the people are, are carried to 
to Albany, to the legislative body. So, so it's really important that we get out, go out there as, as um, possible electeds to go out there to get your petitions signed and talk to people at that point in time, to knock on doors, to reach out by phone. I've been calling people right on the phone and just um, chit-chatting with them and letting them know um, that I'm concerned. And, and they're telling me what their concerns are as I do that as well. So it informs um, decision-making that will happen down the road. Uh, we had a question typed into the chat and I think uh, it just circles back to the late question. Uh, um, it's not just an, you know, an environmental issue. Uh, Mackie said it's, a, it's an economic and tourism issue uh, with property values in the district. Uh, the, the health of the lakes affects those as well. Uh, do you find that uh, true as, as well? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, so tourism is such a big part of what the Finger Lakes are in the summer. I mean, in the summer, there's traffic jams in Skinny Atlas, you know? So, so um, the big draw is the, the beautiful lake. You know, over here in Auburn, um, the, the lake shore is, is always booming with events. Emerson Park is full of um, life. Uh, we have our annual fireworks there. It's just absolutely so um, the most beautiful place in the country to be in the summertime from, from, from uh, Memorial Day to, to Labor Day. And that, that's the, the draw of the beautiful, the beautiful um, lakes and, and countryside, um, as well as, as our cultural and arts um, uh, and entertainment um, right. facilities. They, they also are, are a big draw. And I don't want to take away from our winter tourism either. Winter tourism is something that's, that's um, very important to this region as well. So ice fishing, skiing, those um, those types of things are a draw for this area. And we don't want to forget our wineries. Oh my gosh. Even <laughs> <laughs> more than ever right now. <laughs> right. And so, and fresh water is, is uh, a conversation um, also for, for our agricultural environment. We need that fresh water resource to, to produce food, um, not just wine, even though I'm partial to it. <laughs> So you, you you know you you touched on the tourism and and that made me remind remind myself that you know the summer is usually filled with festivals it's usually filled with big dollars that bring coming to these communities Auburn has that big huge musical theater festival uh, and, um, and and of course up in you know on my neck of the woods the state fair has been canceled. Um, these festivals, along with sales tax revenue, along with uh, all of the economic hardship that has come along with COVID, is putting local governments in a huge bind. And, uh, and of course, state government is also in a huge bind. What can you do as, uh, you know, assembly person to help out these local governments? Well, the, um, the money needs to come from the federal government. And, but one of the things is that as a representative is your ability to advocate for your constituents. So that network that I began to talk about, that network of advocacy. So in my travels, um, I run into the representatives who are in Congress. I rep run into our um, US senators. Um, I run into um, the Lieutenant Governor once in a while. Um, not that any of them remember my name, but I tell them who I am. <laughs> but when I run into them, it's my opportunity to talk to them about the things that, that are important to, to our community, to the 126th. And you can actively advocate, right? So as a representative, a state representative, I could write a letter and advocate to the federal representatives to bring that funding home. Once that funding comes back to New York State, then it becomes the um, it becomes the legislature that helps to bring it back to the different communities. So I would be there as a representative in the majority, to in the horn of of the one twenty six, saying, "Come on back." Uh, you have to remember that our lakes deserve water. It can be a little bit of a competition. So you have to advocate to the other legislators, and you have to advocate up 
and continue to to do that. That's part that advocacy is so much a part of um, what representatives do, and so so that's important. So we forget that that's something that 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 our representatives should be doing. So and advocating, of course, to the governor. Right. I mean, just like the financial aid formula for schools, the devil's in the details on how these government programs um, get doled out on the local level. Even if we do get the money from the feds, which so far uh, is, has been doubtful and may have to wait until the next Congress comes in. Um, once that money comes, the governor and the legislature are the ones who decide how that is doled out and which districts uh, and what criteria that those, those districts get money. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that's a great point. <laughs> that, but uh, so one, uh, you know, you talked about this being a rural district and one of the uh, people in the chat also brought up this question is that, it, you know, a big issue for rural districts and especially this year with so many people working from home and going to school from home is high-speed internet. That has been something that has been a, uh, a rural issue for many years. And I think we're starting to see that uh, it's even more so now. And, and how can you advocate for those communities to be able to get the tools they need to operate in a COVID and to be quite honest, a modern society? So, so one of the issues is that it's be, it, more and more is a utility. It's you have to have to your home to, to function, like a telephone, well, not a telephone used to be, or <laughs> like electricity, like the gas lines. And we need to look at it as that. I think that when the internet kind of exploded, it, people thought of it as entertainment, as cable TV, as not a necessity. But right now, and we absolutely see it, um, um, you know, amplified by COVID-19, the haves and the have-nots, right? So rural, rural communities are not able to um, do school from home or at a great expense are doing school from home. And the same with working from home. It's not, it's not that easy in our rural communities. Cayuga County has um, only 72% internet uh, adoption, which just basically means 72% of the county has broadband. And Cortland County is um, not, they're about 80%. Onondaga County is 90%. And Shenango uh, County is about even with Cayuga County in that it's only 70% of adoption. So it puts these communities at a disadvantage to, to, have, um, to have equal schooling. It puts it at a disadvantage to, um, to work from home and to make a living. Um, so, so more and more this, is, this needs to be treated as a utility. At the state level, it needs to be regulated as a utility. And at the state level, there needs to be funding to, to get those, um, those high-speed internet lines out into, out into the, the rural districts. There needs to be some kind of subsidies because most of the um, broadband is controlled by private private industry, right, by the telecommunications industry. And they, own, they have rules about um, building out their network as to the number of people who are going to, um, to benefit from it. So where there's a high density of people, they can make a lot of money, right? Where there's a low density of people, they can't make back their money for that build out as quickly. So they're making decisions based on profit not on accessibility. So it has to be a question of regulation and it has to be a, a change in the mindset that this is not about video games and it is not about television entertainment. It is about, it is about school, it is about work, it's about livelihood, and it's about equitable distribution of resources. And that's, that's something that's very important. And that is something that goes across the 126, it goes across all of central New York. These are issues of accessibility have to be equally and fairly distributed and regulated. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, private companies making these decisions, 
you know, in, in, on, on profit. And that kind of reminds me that we just celebrated Labor Day. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the, the, a lot of the, I've noticed a lot of the, and, and in Onondaga County, we're actually having a big discussion about layoffs on the government level because the federal government hasn't uh, acted yet. And these layoffs are going to be affected by union households and unions for, are, are, are bearing the big brunt of it. And it's union officials that have, uh, you know, been on the front line of this COVID uh, response, whether it's in our hospitals or in, or in our schools. So I believe this is something that kind of sets you apart from your opponent, is that you're pro-union, that you are a, a union advocate. And uh, um, we uh, talk about that. Talk, talk about what, what, why we should have more labor uh, unions out there and, and what they bring to the table. So let me be clear. My life is better because I am a member of a union. I've made a living wage. My health care and my family is healthier because of it. I have a retirement to look forward to. My life is better because I am a union member. Um, many... Um, politicians will tell you that they are concerned about jobs. They're concerned about bringing jobs back to their district, bring jobs into the district net without, that's just it. How many jobs are you going to create without thinking about protecting the good paying jobs that are here. And those are the union jobs that allow that fair living wage that allow people to have health care, that allow us to have retirement. So, so, when we get to quite a point of crisis, we have to protect those jobs. We have to protect those jobs the same way that we speak to bringing new jobs to the area. You don't, you don't, you don't hear that at all, right? So all of a sudden, elected officials have a lot of responsibility for a lot of employees. The state employs a lot of people. The city employs a lot of people. The county employs a lot of people. So those union jobs need to be preserved at all costs. When there is an emergency and jobs need to um, be cut because salaries is probably the biggest part of the budget, it should be an issue of bringing in union leadership and talking to them about how this should happen to protect the jobs, to make sure that those jobs return when times get better. So, so it needs to be a partnership when jobs need to be cut between, yes, elected officials, yes, the management of, of that organization, whatever it is, and the union leadership. So, so we need to remember that the union leadership needs to be at the table, not only at the hiring, but also at the layoff, at the furlough, at the departure, at the early, at the early uh, retirement time. You know, how do we work together to make this better? When organizations are healthy, the unions are doing a great job to help them become healthy. They don't become the enemy. So, so we need to remember that that's part of, of the mix, right? You have to bring that leadership from all points of view to the table to keep, um, to keep us healthy uh, as organizations. And you know, those good paying jobs are what attract other people to come to the area and live and pay taxes. So, so we have to protect them. So we're on with Zoom and Zarni, our virtual town hall with uh, Dia Carabajal, who's uh, running for uh, the assembly district in the 126, which is the southwest portion of Onondaga County in the city of Auburn and north and part of Cortland County as well. Uh, um, Dia, you, you, you and I have something in common. Uh, we're both uh, former or current thespians. Uh, I guess you're never really a former uh, thespian, but you're a lover of the arts. Uh, I know that that's been something that's been a driving force in your um, uh, in your life, and I think in a in a time of economic crisis, people always seem to forget that the arts can drive economic uh, recovery as well as uh, be a benefit to the community. So, talk about your role with the arts and and and, and what it's meant to, for you to have that in your life. 
So, so as a child, um, we had Auburn Public or Auburn Civic Theater, um, Auburn Children's Theater, and after school, instead of intramurals, uh, so many of us just went and we created plays and we put them on for our parents and we learned about the theater. We learned about costumes and makeup and directing and lighting and um, and it was a great team sport to be involved in. Um, but what we, we also learned was an appreciation um, for for arts and culture, which are are very much a part of of you know uh, quality of life, right? So and economic drivers. We forget that, that how, um, how important they are as economic tools. If you go to Americans for the Arts every year, they do, a, they do an economic impact study of arts organizations, and um, they just take a look at arts and culture, and they say, how much does this um, impact our, our community? What ways to do, do these institutions? Um, help us. So, so over here in Auburn, we have the Rev, which was formerly the Mary Ground Theater and formerly the Finger Lakes uh, uh, Musical Theater Festival. And um, we know every summer that that brings people from outside of our community who come. They not only go to the theater in our community, but they stop by and they have uh, dinner at the Springside Inn and in other places, and they stop at um, other tourism um, stops along the way. So it brings a lot of people to our community, and it it helps us out and it employs a lot of um, people that you don't think about, right? Those waitresses and uh, uh, they, they, uh, waitresses and waiters, they, they, they get a living from, from that. And they, um, you know, so it, it kind of, uh, you know, spreads it around. So what has theater given to me? It's given me an appreciation of the arts, not only as, as quality of life, but also as, as economic institutions. Um, for, for community prosperity. So, but when I talk about arts and culture, we also have um, Falcon Park down here, which is a minor league um, uh, baseball field. That brings similar attention to, to our community. So, so it's, it's not fluff, it's not fluff at all, but it, it is, uh, they are economic drivers and they're small businesses as well. They're nonprofit because they, they um, do a greater good for our community, but they, they still are, um, they are, they are there to help us to, to be better. And then, of course, public speaking, the public speaking skills that I learned as a child from being involved in the theater, um, are part of, used every day as a teacher, as I teach every day, and to be able to communicate to people, large groups of people, and to one-on-one -on -one to people, those are skills that, that I developed long ago as a child, and I can't I can't not mention the Auburn um, uh, the Auburn Players uh, Community Theater that I also was involved in for years and years. Um, it was it was fun. I haven't done it in a long time, not since I got on the school board, um, but but on stage directed did all those things. Yeah, I mean I've actually worked with the Auburn Players a couple of times myself. Uh, uh, I did a set design for them, and uh, and and I think I can't remember. I've done so many, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did a set design and helped build on another set. Uh, so, um, but uh, uh, what uh, you, you know, I I do need to. I am a elections commissioner, and this kind of started as an elections uh, podcast, and there's been a transformative change in New York elections um, that. Uh, you know, that Democrats have been able to, to pass through with early voting and expanded absentees uh, and uh, no excuse absentees coming next year, maybe. And, and uh, you know, uh, maybe same day registration and automatic voter registration. A lot of things that have, have started to transform the, you know, the New York electorate a little bit. Um, what, what are your views on these changes? Uh, you know, is, is this something you're, you've had to run for office while these changes have come about, and now you're running again. So what are your view on these changes, uh, and, and what would you like to see uh, New York do better uh, when it comes to elections? I, I think that we are doing well. I, I'm, the more people who vote, the better our democracy works, the more people who get heard. Having been an elected official, I know that, I know that the people who are out there who are actively engaged their opinions and their their um, 
issues are moved forward. As I talked to you, um, you know, we talked about getting petitions signed and, and going out and knocking on doors. When talking to those, those voters, that's how, you know, the sausage is made. That, so the more voters who are engaged, the better. And democracy works better when, when all voices are heard. I agree with, with, you know, I think every, everybody who turns 18 should be automatically registered to vote. You should be, it should be opt out, not opt in. Right now we have to opt into the voting process. That gives it another step that makes it harder. I teach a lot of 18 year olds and I know that many of them are not engaged and many of them don't know how to vote. Now, these are educated 18 year olds. They've all graduated from high school. So they're, they're coming into the community college and many of them are not, not voting and they don't understand the process or the, and it's harder if there are multiple steps for them to participate at that age. So, so I think that the changes that engage more voters are really important. Um, what we could improve right now is the speed of the post office, right? Especially in the 126. In the 126, it's not the people who live in the city that are going to be necessarily affected by slow mail, but our rural um, voters, if they decide to vote absentee, those are the votes that, get, that will get slowed down. Um, city to city traffic probably is going to notice maybe a little bit of a delay, but but those rural um, those rural outposts, if you will, that is where um, where the slowdown will will cause some trouble. During COVID nineteen, people need to feel safe. If they need to vote by mail, I feel they should be allowed to vote by mail. Right? This is a this is a an issue of of being healthy of of keeping yourself safe. And so, um, so those are my, my thoughts. I'm sure that it, the, you know, the devil's in the details. Um, when I look at it a little closer as a uh, member of the assembly, um, I'll know more about it. And I'm sure I just learned a little bit more about it from you, from this conversation. Well, you know, it's funny, I, I do wanna, you, know, you were talking about in intra-city mail being okay, but actually, um, you know, the city, I just found this out in, 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 in being an advocate for uh, more options and then all of the controversy with the post office, we sat down with post office officials and I had no idea that every piece of mail from the city of Auburn was delivered into Syracuse before it was delivered back inside the city <laughs> of Auburn. And, 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 and that's in your district, but uh, it's the entire central New York from Alexandria Bay to um, Binghamton to Oneida, you know, Utica to Geneva, all in that region. Any piece of mail goes to the North Syracuse Post Office and then it's farmed back out to where they're, they're being delivered, whether it's within that district or not. Um, so, so being a resident of Auburn, I did know that because years ago, 20 years ago, it would just be sorted by hand and sent back out inside the city of Auburn. But now in the world of super sorters and barcodes, that's why it's that facility can handle that in Syracuse. And that's why that changed. That changed probably about 20 years ago. Um, but if that, but it does happen. <laughs> it does go, all the Auburn mail goes to the Syracuse post office. But I think if you mail it inside the post office, um, it just, it stays inside the post office. <laughs> It, it's amazing. Heard, but I don't know. Yeah, no, they say it all goes up there and then comes back. There are no sorters inside these individual post offices anymore, which is amazing. Like, I mean, you know, the mail is an amazing modern marvel that we have that, you know, that for the most part, uh, you can put something in somewhere and it'll go anywhere in the world. And, that, and, and, and the fact that it does travel, even, you know, an extra day or two. That is amazing, but we are asking people to act early, get their ballot, go to our website onvote.net, and get your absentee if you want, um, you know, and uh, or go to the Cuga County Board website if you're in the Cuga County or Cortland County, uh, or go to the State Board website. There's a statewide portal that you can use. Uh, Absolutely, and, and it's very easy. Um, uh, you're listening to Zoom with Zarni. Um, I'm with Dia Carabal, who's the uh, Assembly District 126 Democratic candidate. 
And, uh, you know, Dia, I do a weekly uh, deep dive into registration, and I think you might be up next week. I think yours is up next week. Oh, for Wednesday, what do you call it? Wednesday, yeah, yeah. Wacky Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife helped me name that, so it, it's, it's kind of stuck. But uh, we're going to be looking into your district. But it has become, I think people would be surprised, it has become way more democratic uh, than it used to be. I, it, Republicans still have a plura plurality, but uh, the southern part of Onondaga County, Camillus, um, and also, of course, the city of Auburn, uh, has become uh, more democratic over time, and, 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 and you've closed the gap. Why do you think that is? You live in this district. Why, why do you think there are more people enrolling in the Democratic Party in that district than ever before? Um, well, I, I just, I think that the, um, you know, the young people are, are, are actually, the young people are, I don't believe are registering um, overwhelmingly Democrat. I think that they're registering unaffiliated. I think that that's part of a, a kind of frustration with the two party system. Um, uh, so I think that that's, that's part of the mix. I think that, I think that, um, I think that we're just losing some population. I think that that could be part of it. Um, and I think that the, um, the, the climate is not, um, how do I say this? Um, welcoming um, <laughs> entirely on the other side. So I think that that's, that's, that's part of it. There has been, I mean, I, I think you'll be surprised by the I, data, and I don't want to ruin it, but I, I, I think you'll be surprised by the data of how many, it does seem like Democrats and non-enrolleds are growing at, a, at about the same rate and Republicans are going down. And this is not uh, germane to your district. It's pretty much every district uh, in New York, and, but, uh, um, but, but your district uh, most importantly. Uh, because so, so I do want to say, um, uh, as, as, a, as a Hispanic woman, I don't believe that the Republican Party has done enough to reach out and broaden its message and to look for a more diverse um, base of voters. I think that their policies um, don't reflect trying to engage, um, engage um, you know, women and, and people from, from diverse ethnic backgrounds. I don't, I don't think that it is um, doing enough um, I think at one point the Republican Party was aware that they they weren't doing enough, um, but that kind of um, slowed. But that being said, it is a rural district, and it is a district that has a, a diverse uh, political ideology. So how could you serve all of those uh, people? How can you serve every one of those? When I started my political career, I started on the school board. And so for six years, nobody asked me, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? And it was totally nonpartisan. And people just wanted to know um, where I stood on the issues that were facing the taxpayers, the, um, the school district, and, and the students and the parents. So, so there was that, that just place of doing what was right for, for everyone. So there's lots of different types of diversity as well. So, so rural versus urban, that's diverse, right? So you have to reach out into the urban areas and find out what's happening there. You have to talk to people. Again, it becomes this issue of density, right? So politicians like to go where there's more voters, but they have to get out into the rural areas and talk to, talk to everyone. And when they do that, that's where that diversity can be pulled in. You're talking to farm workers and to farmers, and you're talking to people who don't have broadband, and you're talking to just uh, commuters out in the um, out in the country. So there, there are those issues of diversity. There's diversity of opinion, and you have to respect diversity of opinion and actually be willing to um, to shift a little, to listen and change yourself. So it doesn't matter really. Um, what side of the aisle you're on, you can represent the people that have put you there by listening to them, by talking to them, by knowing those issues that are important. And when you engage them and they engage you, that's when the magic happens, right? That's when you truly become that conduit for public opinion, 
that conduit of what the community um, needs are to bring that forward. So. Well, Dia, it's been a wonderful time uh, chatting with you. Uh, I think you're a dynamic candidate and uh, oh, citizens of the 8126 would be lucky to have you. But, uh, but. your final pitch, right? <laughs> can help you. Where can they go to find out more about you uh, and, 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 and be able to vote for you? Absolutely. So you can find out more about me by going to diaforassembly.com, right? Carbajal's too hard to spell. Don't try to spell it. One word, diaforassembly.com. I am at diaforassembly on Twitter. I'm at diaforassembly on Facebook. Um, so you can, you can do that. Um, if you want to help out, there are ways to help out there. We have phone banks and, and uh, different voluntary activities. Um, in fact, we have a phone bank this Sunday at uh, one o'clock and uh, we'd be happy to have you um, come and uh, you know make a few phone calls uh, that would be super and because it's the only thing we really can do we can't knock on doors so um, so I, I don't mind talking about myself it, it it's uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm used to it but um, uh, we would we would ask you to talk on my behalf and uh, and speak to some of the voters and uh, that's that's where you can find out more and that's what, what uh, you can do to help should you um, be so inclined. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on board. And uh, in, in, uh, next week, uh, we'll have uh, Al Serpy, who's on the opposite end of Anadagagami. He's in the north uh, um, east corner where you're in the southwest. Uh, he'll be coming on Zoom and Zarni, so check out the events page for that. Uh, please go to Dia's website, diaforassembly.com. And, uh, and find out more about her and, and help her out. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week on Zoom and Zarni. Bye-bye, everyone. Okay.